Hello there and welcome to episode six of Rethinking Trauma and Transition and today it is about sweat dreams are made of these. So what are we going to talk about Stephen? Um, we're talking about flashbacks, we're talking about um, night terrors and sleep in general as well. Probably for most of everybody that's been listening I think um, it's quite good I suppose to link it back to what we're, we've been talking about previously, which is the experience of PTSD, PTSD mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress injury. Yep. And there in that episode, we covered off some common symptoms or experiences that, that people have while when they, they have post-traumatic stress. And we committed at that point to doing a bit of a deeper dive on some of these, and they were not necessarily going to beat these to death there but it's going to give a bit more detail hopefully for everybody about what the component elements of these are and uh -huh. experienced that yeah. sounds fair oh yeah yeah we're just going to be giving you an overview as to what they are a bit more deeper than what the previous episodes were yeah and maybe also our take on what's actually happening in our heads when that's that's going on and why that happens as well definitely and some Possible ways that you could remedy this, remedy your um, situation as well. Obviously, we are not prescribing anything, so we'll cover all that later. Yeah, and and hopefully with the the increased understanding of why your brain's operating the way it's uh, mm -hmm. and how that is then structured, then sometimes that can have a, have a positive impact as well in the experience. Definitely, yeah. So, shall we jump right in and? The first one we were going to talk about was the um, the flashbacks, because a lot mm -hmm. of people with post-traumatic stress injuries will experience flashbacks. For anybody else that hasn't, though, sometimes the question is, well, what does that actually mean? Yeah, so, I think most people think of a flashback as a visual trigger in the memory, but it also can be um, physical. It can be with the smell. It can be hearing something. So, for example, in my case, um, a few years ago now, I was working for um, a utility company. And so we're often out and about in um, cherry pickers or mupes. Um, being back in that cage, moving that vehicle back on site, which over bumpy terrain, um, caused me to have actual physical flashbacks. And so I wasn't able to control the um, mupe as well as I could. So that bumping into things and all that sort of stuff. Um, it brought me back to being back out in so like Northern Ireland and Iraq doing top cover and being in a metal frame thing, getting back to the bike on the roads and all that kind of stuff. So when you talk about a physical flashback, Rich, what, what were you experiencing at that point when you were in mid-flashback? So it was causing me to have um, elevated heart rate my breathing was more rapid. I was getting very tense in my muscles um, and that kind of thing. What, what were the thoughts that were going through your head when that was that when you were experiencing those? What what did that what what emotions were those those that were happening? It wasn't really emotional and my mind was mostly blank, which you probably realise is quite a common thing, Ali. Well, I think with flashbacks, yeah, it mm -hmm. can be. Yeah. Yeah. So does that mean almost that there was the 
because that sounds an awful lot like like the physical symptoms of anxiety or a panic attack mm -hmm. but with almost like the the thinking shutdown that goes with it so that so that actually everything's focused very much in the physical experience and and everything else is really closed in and tight yeah there's um quite tunnel vision as well okay. along with um tunnel hearing which is not some pe many people know about so does that so tell me a bit more about that tunnel vision and tunnel hearing so auditory and visual exclusion it's very hard to start hearing people um you're just very focused on where you're going um because i was working in quite confined areas as well that mean i'd be very near or hitting um other bits of equipment that are trying to they're supposed to be staying away from and then on some occasions it actually unfortunately damaged that equipment because i was focusing too intently on where i wanted to go and not everything else that was going on around me so is that a bit like looking through almost like a like a pipe to your destination so that you you know everything seems further away that that maybe there is the the peripheral vision is so closed down yeah. that you're that actually all you're seeing is a very narrow window at the end of that tunnel? Yeah, very much. It's like that racehorse with the blinkers on. Not comparing myself to the racehorse, but yeah, the racehorse blinkers on. It knows where it's going. Nothing's going to distract from the outside of it. And it's just he heading there for the um, finishing line. And with the auditory exclusion, because the engine's running as well, it's hard to hear people's voices on the ground to say, whoa, stop, slow down. You need to do this that and the other it also strikes me though that in terms of that the specific experience that you're describing rich it also strikes me that that those very experiences in certain circumstances would be incredibly useful because what you're really describing is almost that heightened point of focus mm -hmm. yeah intensity of focus yeah very useful in some situations but unuseful in others as you say which I suppose is um, the interesting point. It comes back to, I suppose, the, the phrase I used in, in the previous podcast about a weed being a plant out of place. Mm -hmm. And that's a useful skill that's out of place now. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, one of the triggers was um, walking towards the actual, without even getting into it, is going sense of kind of um boating i suppose of no i've got to drive this thing over the terrain but i still had to do it because it's part of the job so this was almost anticipatory dread then so you know what's going to happen you know what's coming next and it's almost like your future pacing that experience before it happens yeah yeah so when would the tunneling start for you then it'd be when i start moving operating a vehicle okay yeah. and what was the experience as you because you said it started as you were walking towards the vehicle that anticipatory dread was there anything else that was almost giving you an indication of a warning that this was something that um it was a knowing that i think is doing a job and his job's got to be done because that's what the role is so it's again it's as we mentioned earlier it's about all these boundaries and boundary settings and having that totally encroached where, as in the forces, and I'm sure there's quite a few other jobs, is go out there and do the job because of that can-do attitude. And it's part of the job to do it and get it done. So for you, those triggers then were very much 
I suppose I would class them almost as kinesthetic. They're about the feeling and the sensation that then yeah. triggers further feelings and sensations in you because it's associated with previous experiences. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, definitely kinesthetic. Then it would become, as you say, it become then visual and auditory as well. So that almost means then that that trigger is almost like a bridge to a previous experience. Mm -hmm. Then working on that idea of something, it being a, a useful skill that's out of place, that bridge then links to that skill, kicks that skill in, and that skill, because it's out of place, which is that tunneling and that focus, now becomes an issue. Yeah. And it's not just an issue for me. It'd be an issue for everybody I'm working with as well. Because these would be largely unaware that this was happening to you also. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So in terms of those those flashbacks, I mean, what we're talking about here are the things that trigger them, really. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of things that can trigger those flashbacks. Um, so what may be a, say, pleasant smell for someone could be rather upsetting and disgusting for somebody else. Well, I suppose it's almost that that um, peanut butter and marmite debate. For some people, they absolutely love them. For others, it's kind of like the devil's food. Oh, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. But and I'm not sure if people are aware out there. I'm sure some people are. Is that with the sense of smell that goes straight into the back of the brain? Is there's no filter with that compared to the sense of touch, taste, hearing, and sight? I suppose that would be why most people find certain smells really quite pleasant quite pleasant like for instance fresh baked bed yeah. baked bread too many hours in that there's yeah, early morning coffee early morning coffee yeah or fresh fresh cut grass mm -hmm. unless of course you've got chronic hay fever at which point that's probably not a smell you want to smell at all no then there's the other side of things which could be the smell of um vomit blood and all these other, oh, and even just even the sight of it can trigger other people off into having a reaction to that as well. Well, you know, when we were talking about this, this, um, this podcast, I was saying that for me, actually, it's um, sometimes it's the sound mm -hmm. as well, because because I used to work in the the license trade in the pubs for a long period of time, and there were certain sounds, and and one of those would be somebody being sick, and you would think, oh, your heart would sink. You yeah. knew that you were probably I'm going to spend the next little while with them. Um, yeah, plastic um, bag. Yeah, yeah, scoop, and that was going to be a joyful end to your night. Yeah, but to come back to those flashbacks, then because the flashbacks that you've described there are very much about the the feeling and the sensation. But what other types of flashbacks are there? How else might somebody experience a flashback? That could be through auditory. So not so common now, but years ago used to be a lot of. Um... Cars going off rear end, uh, banging. You know, um, some people, somebody might mistake that for gunfire mm -hmm. if they've been out in um, on tour somewhere, or they've experienced being in the middle of um, school shooting or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, or fireworks even. And so, if you've got a partner, you've got young kids. How do you deal with that by maybe compromising, putting ear earplugs in and uh, look yourself after that way well i think a common one that that probably you and i hear a lot is is people being triggered by the sounds of of children laughing mm -hmm. and playing because 
actually the volume and the, the tone of those sounds is very, very similar to almost sounds of, of excitement or panic or upset. And they can be really, really emotive triggers for a lot of people. Yeah. So in terms of, again, the, the structure of that flashback, does that then mean that while you've then got the auditory trigger going on there, is there almost like an auditory soundtrack that can play with that so that so that you're almost internalising and replaying a previous soundtrack? Not for me, no, um, because most of those journeys were done in silence. But maybe for other people? Yeah, definitely, absolutely, yeah. There's no reason why not. Okay. Because one flashback or a particular part of a flashback could then build on another part. So as you said, in my case, it's kinesthetics. So the visual and the auditory could be built on top of that. And then maybe there might be some taste to it, you know, the taste of um, engine fumes mm -hmm. or taste or the, scent of, the smell of diesel or whatever the case may be. So that would then possibly mean then that flashbacks can almost be single representations mm -hmm. or almost like a sequencing yeah. that you're okay. thrown into the middle yeah. of? Because I'm assuming from, from what you've described, Rich, that sounds almost as if there was a sequencing that you would then re-experience mm -hmm. within it. Yeah. Whereas for maybe for some people experiencing flashbacks, it might be, for instance, single sounds, images, single smells that, are in, that are, again are bridging back to that previous experience mm -hmm. and pulling forward those really powerful emotional responses. Yeah, which are um, really anchors, deep anchors, aren't they? Very much, yeah. yeah. And I think sometimes when we talk about triggers, we're almost underestimating the skill of our own brains. Mm -hmm. Because what, what you and I have just been dis describing is bridges between experiences, bridges that our brain can create in a snap second between us and the present and our experiences or memories of the past. Yeah. And those sensations can be just milliseconds apart. You don't even maybe notice that bridging effect. It all seems instantaneous. That literally means then that that for 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 instance, for yourself, when you're experiencing that flashback, that what you've got is the is the full fiber equipment or equivalent of that bridging mm -hmm. skill. You know, for other people who maybe will be able to make the connection between sensory input and memory, because let's face it, a big common one for most of us is music. You know, there'll be key anthems from our, our younger, younger yeah. and maybe teenage years or early 20s or whatever. And, and if you haven't reached early 20s yet, then I'm really jealous. And We're still in early 20s, Ali. We're still in early 20s, uh-huh. But, but there'll be key, key pieces of music or sounds that take us back to a moment in time. Or it could be, for instance, like, uh, like, like maybe the theme tune of a of a of a of a favorite TV program from 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 our childhood. Um, yeah. And I'm not going to start to list some of them because then I'll feel really old. But <laughs> but there was one very, very specific one which involved a rather cool helicopter, and that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but in terms of those bridges, though. I think sometimes we forget that while these are not experiences that any of us would want as a regular part of our lives, they're actually 
evidence of a very, very refined skill set there. Mm -hmm. And these are all experiences that I had during the daytime. And we can talk about the nighttime stuff as well, which you had a very good analogy, I think, Ali, didn't you, before? Well, I do like to tell stories, don't I? But I think that's where, again, or the way we process information mm -hmm. is really, really important. And I think sometimes it's also about not underestimating that in some situations, in a way, what we're talking about here are those of us who literally have that higher level, higher speed processing capacity that not everybody has. Now, that means that that people like yourself, for instance, Rich, have the ability to create those bridges very, very quickly. And those bridges are also what then potentially lead to, um, it's, those bridges are the very thing that sometimes lead to things like phobias and phobic responses with people. Mm -hmm. Because again, they're bridging one experience or input piece of input to another, and it's not always right. Yeah. In terms of, the nighttime experience, if that's a daytime experience, then in a way, night terrors are a bit like flashbacks in our sleep. But for a lot of people, it's grasping the, the categoric difference between a night terror and a nightmare, and they are in a whole different league. Yeah. What are the kind of symptoms that people experience during a uh, night terror, Ali? With a night terror, because there is nightmares are scary enough, night terrors can envision that element of of panic literally it's like a a, a, a some a sleep contained panic attack mm -hmm. and the difference between a panic attack and an anxiety attack is anxiety is about the future a panic attack is where your your brain is telling you that you're in you're at risk of imminent threat or death and it is in the immediate present it is happening now and therefore you have to react your fight flight freeze kicks in and your brain is screaming at you this has to be acted on right here right now there has to be yeah. no delay and some people become somnambulistic as well through those experiences don't they just to possibly wanting to get away from experiencing that at night literally the night terror can become a reenactment of something mm -hmm. it can be where um where the, the individual experiencing it will be literally reenacting a key sequence of events, maybe a key experience. And they won't, that, that means that while they might be acting, they might even have their eyes open, Rich. So that might be that, yeah. for all intents and purposes, they might look like they're awake, but they're anything but. That mm -hmm. also means then that they're not aware of what and who they're interacting with while mm -hmm. that's going on. And that can be scary for them as they as they come out of the night terror and become aware, but also to people around about them yeah. seeing that because there may well be, you know, they might be actually they might be shouting out, they might be screaming, they might be expressing that fear verbally, they might be might be quite um physical. Physical in their actions. There might be, you know, high levels of distress that are physically being displayed. So all of those are possible responses within the, the scope of a night terror but part and parcel of that is also about our brain desperately trying to process our experiences mm -hmm. and that analogy is in a way sometimes when we're experiencing night terrors and even nightmares as well because that that can that can have the same impact 
Yeah. During our day-to-day lives, we literally are bombarded with billions and billions of bite-sized pieces of, of data, of sensory input, and across the entire spectrum of our sensory experiences. Now, that means that in order for us not to be in overload and overwhelm all of the time, there has to be some level of automatic processing. Yep. So without necessarily naming a specific brand, because there are a number of different distribution warehouses, if you imagine a very giant and very large and complex distribution warehouse that's dealing with all sorts of input, all sorts of customer orders and requirements, all sorts of parcels, because that's what each of that pieces or each piece of that data input is, it's like a like a specific parcel. That means that at some point, in order to cope with that, then they would install, you know, they would automate that line mm-hmm. so that anything that is familiar, that is commonplace that goes to the same place time after time is automatically sorted sifted and dealt with and it doesn't require a direct decision making on it yeah so that sorry i need to interrupt you that goes into then the subconscious processing doesn't it yes so there are key things and that we can we can almost experience the the impact of that Mm -hmm. like for instance um the fact that very few of us will smell our own laundry detergent on our clothes It'll be there, but we won't be aware of it because it's the laundry detergent we use all of the time Mm -hmm. and therefore familiarity means it becomes automatically processed and not something we need to consciously process. And it's also said that consciously we can only process seven things with plus or minus two. Anything above and beyond that is just too much for the conscious brain to um, analyse. Well, the other thing is... Completely overwhelmed sometimes the 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 lovely experiences when we unintentionally pull an unconscious process back into the conscious and by doing so we fritz it so Mm -hmm. i'll give you an example of that where i had a pattern unlock on my mobile phone and it was going swimmingly well until i hadn't had to use it for a while and it suddenly popped up and asked for my pattern because i wasn't expecting it i thought about it instead of just inputting the pattern and I was locked out of my phone for four hours because I could not, for love nor money, consciously remember that pattern. And fortunately, I remember phoning my sister at the time and saying, you're the only person I can contact. I can't get into my contacts because you're in my emergency, my emergency point of contact. What are we going to do? So she's trying to Google how to reset my phone and break the lock until I suddenly realised exactly what I'd done, which was I was consciously processing an unconscious pattern. Mm-hmm. I said, so the answer to that was stop, just talk about any shit possible to distract me until a notification comes through in my phone. And then as long as you're keeping me distracted enough, the unconscious processing will kick in and I will get back into my phone. Yeah. And that took 15 minutes. So that's that automation on the um that's the in the warehouse. In the warehouse, yes. But sometimes we have new parcels that come down that we just don't know what to do. We don't know where they belong, where they're going. Maybe the shape or the size or the input of them is very unusual and it doesn't fit in with our our standard processing. And that could be some of those traumatic events, some of those really triggering experiences that we have, that our brain just looks at that and says, I have no clue what to do with it. That's a bit like having that that specialist night shift team that comes mm-hmm. on. So that 
So the day shift goes, I have got no clue what to do with this. So I'll put it in the cage for night shift and they'll deal with it when they come in. Because then they're they're not dealing with the rest of this input. So they'll have the time to do a bit of an investigation, to try different things out and see where this piece of information now sits and belongs. So night shift's sole job is cleaning the backlog of the unusual, the unexpected, the very different, the the unique experiences that day shift haven't been able to auto-process. It does that quite often through our dreams. Mm -hmm. Most of those we'll be unaware of. But the ones that it really struggles with, with that night shift team is really struggling with, where it can't find where that belongs or how that's to be sent or packaged or processed, then they'll replay it over and over again because what they're trying to do is find that placement for it. Yeah. Trying to close out that final delivery of that item. What we end up with is night terrors and recurring dreams. Yeah. And now, so that can be reprocessed and repackaged. That's going to carry on ad infinitum, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's that's the important part is in a way, I mean, we talked previously when we were talking about PTSD about sometimes maybe we have to reconsider what our PTS symptoms are telling us. Mm -hmm. And what if they're just trying to get us an attention that they're yeah. actually saying there's something we need your assistance with, your, your help yeah. with. What if that's what that night terror is telling us as well? is I don't know what to do with this piece of information. I don't know what to do with this experience. I need your help to process it yeah. through. Yeah. And that's where there are a number of things that we can then do, whether that's maybe working through some of those experiences with, with a trained professional during during the, our daytime experiences. But there's also some dream techniques that we can that we can utilize that help us then give that night shift team a bit more direction to help resolve that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So part of those night terrors are people not wanting to go to sleep because they'd experience those terrors and those nightmares and our physical sensations. So that'd be type one and type two insomnias. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for for those people who are wondering what the difference is, um, the way I remember it, because sometimes I struggled for a long time to remember the difference between type one and type two. The way I always remember it is the first thing you do is you go to sleep. And the second thing you do is you wake up. So type one insomnia is the ones where you struggle to get to sleep. And type two is the insomnia where you struggle to stay asleep. If you if you think about it, if you're constantly having very, very vivid night terrors, would you anticipate that the experience of sleep is positive or negative for you, Rich? That would be a pretty negative experience for most, whereas most people, sleep is a very positive experience. Being get up, feeling fresh, refreshed, and wake, woken up in the morning. Yeah. So if you're waking up to discover that um, you're in mid panic attack, you've mm -hmm. got um, hot flushes, you've got you know, maybe you're, you're drenched in sweat, you've got the adrenaline rush going on, so you've got the shakes, the, the whole lot, you've got maybe probably sensations of nausea, the, you know, it, it can be really, yeah. really... Hmm. Potential harm to yourself as well, or others. Uh-huh, yes. So that can make um, sleepy far from pleasant things, yeah. something that you would anticipate if, mm -hmm. if part of that anticipation is the night terror. Yeah. And obviously, the lack of sleep will make these symptoms worse 
because you're not getting a regular sleep hygienic pattern. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I I am really not good if I if, if I'm if I'm too exhausted. And they've done mm. all these weird and wonderful experiments, and you see all these extreme examples of competitions where the it's kind of like the the hand in the car car examples where you've got all these crazy people trying to win the the state of the art car by seeing who can stay awake the longest and touching the vehicle. Yeah, I believe they stopped that, didn't they? The Guinness Book of Records. Uh -huh. Yeah. But we, we can't forget that actually sleep deprivation has a real physical impact on us. It can kill us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At a certain level, if you go without sleep long enough, your vital organs shut down. Mm -hmm. Well, and aside from that, it's the decision-making process. So if you're not sleeping properly, again, making poor decisions, you know, maybe turning to substances that will help sleep and help alleviate those night terrors? Well, if you think about it, if I take you back to that analogy of the night shift and day shift cruise, if you're not sleeping, then that means that that day shift crew is on permanent overtime. Mm -hmm. That day shift crew, instead of doing a 12-hour shift or a 14-hour shift, is now doing an 18- or 20-hour shift. And in that 18 or 20 hours, it is continually processing all of those pieces, billions and billions of pieces of data. So yeah. not only is it on an overtime shift, but it is working like a Trojan for the entirety of that. And that cage of things, those auto pickers, are also an overwhelm and probably mm -hmm. overheating, all sorts of issues going. Do you think about what happens in that, that, that assembly line? Yeah, the machines break down eventually if it's continuously run. Yeah, they overheat, parts wear out, things yeah. that would have been normal. You know what happens? What happens if you don't put oil in your car engine? Uh, it runs fine until it all blows up. But along the way, you'll start to you start to experience symptoms that something's going wrong, won't you? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You might you might get the grinding things might start to get a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. you know, things that normally were quite smooth all of a sudden are anything but. Yeah. And sleep deprivation has the same impact on us. Things that would normally be done and capable we would be capable of doing without even so much as a second thought become monumental tasks when mm -hmm. we're sleep deprived. And that also potentially um affects the structure of the brain as well it does because i think that's a subject for another time i would agree yeah uh-huh and there are things i think that we'll probably touch on again in a later episode because i think you and i were talking about wouldn't it be quite good if we did one specifically on sleep touch on on again some of those wider issues in terms of what actually happens to the brain when we're sleep deprived yeah, and also some of the specific techniques that we can we can use to try and address some of those challenges. Yeah, yeah. So there are obviously these aren't prescriptive, and we are not doctors who prescribe you anything. Mm -hmm. So there are ways to help you get to sleep, such as doing your best to have a regular sleeping pattern, a cool bed, possibly breathing techniques. So like we talked about in the first episode was um, box breathing, or breathing for four and breathe out for eight. So basically breathe in for a certain amount and then attempt to double that breathing repetition and do that for a few times. And also magnesium has been proved or been shown to help with sleep because 
if I remember rightly, something like 70%, 70-80% of people in the United States are magnesium deficient. And it has something to do with three to 800 different functions within the body. So if we don't have the right vitamins and minerals, that's not going to help us recover as well. Well, I think, and this is where my advice would be, if you're finding that your sleep pattern is far from ideal, check the, the basics. You know, how much how much caffeine are you consuming during the day? Because caffeine, while you know, one of my favorite, one of my favorites, I mean, I do, I am a big coffee, coffee fan, but I also know that I'm very strict with myself that I don't drink coffee after two o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I probably should limit that to probably after 10 o'clock in the morning, but you know, there are limits on how long I can go without my caffeine yeah. for. But that also means I'm very careful about the caffeine that are, is in hidden sources. So whether that's in caffeinated drinks, apart from coffee, mm-hmm. because you'll find come across caffeine elsewhere as well. Yeah. That could be, for instance, about how often we're using things like our mobile phones. Do you have a blue light filter on your phone? Because all of those can make a difference in terms of the brain activity and how it mm-hmm. processes things as well. Removing um, electronics from the bedroom. Yeah. And is the room as dark as it possibly can be as well? You know, how much ambient noise is there outside? Have you thought about, for instance, maybe getting blackout curtains so that, that so that as the, the the as the daylight patterns shift, then sometimes that also means that it will have an impact on our sleep patterns and our circadian rhythms. That's nature. Mm-hmm. And that means- on the other side of things is waking up in the morning, is getting that sunlight in the eyes for I think it's about 10, 20 minutes, depending where you, you live in the world. Well, one of my favourite things ever was when I discovered the um, you could get the the light-activated alarm clocks, I think they're called body alarm clocks, mm-hmm. and I used one of those for years where actually and the, there was no sound, but the, it would gradually raise and lower the light level in the room so that I could set it to a sunrise and sun, sunset effect, and I found that fabulous in terms oh, of... Oh, cool. It was great. Loved it. Um, so yeah there are some things you can look at and the other thing is is it's not be scared to have a conversation with your GP about that because there may well be something else going on mm-hmm. and if you're not sleeping then don't underestimate the impact it has on your on every aspect of your life yeah absolutely so we've covered today is going over the flashbacks and as well as night terrors and how they are just a sensory thing within body revisiting things that haven't yet been dealt with and we've also talked about that that really kind of almost hidden superpower mm-hmm. that you're suffering from flashbacks and night tears that you may well may well actually have, which is your ability to bridge between a very small piece of information and data by of sensory input and a very vivid past experience that you may have. Yeah. Because that is a as a superpower, and that might be something we pick up maybe in a later episode when we start talking maybe about anchors and how they're created. Rich, I don't know whether you think that would be something that would be worth having a conversation at a later date about. I think we could ask the listeners that. I think we could, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And triggers. So what could be a very pleasant smell for somebody else could be an upsetting experience for um yourself. Yeah. And so what- be mindful of where you are and what's going to upset you or what's not going to upset you and if you know that you have something that you find particularly triggering then actually maybe that's a conversation you can have with those closest to you or those that you work with that says actually it would be really helpful if Mm -hmm. 
And bearing in mind that these triggers can literally be anything. They can be a sound that everybody else wouldn't even notice. They could be a colour, they could be an object, they can be a smell, as you say, or it can be a sensation, something that you touch or that, that's felt. Any of that and all of yeah. those are possible. And have a good night's sleep. Yeah. Check your check your your sleep hygiene, check your yeah. room hygiene, your patterns. And and again, if anybody's interested in looking at some of the elements or the the, the things that that you can do to help alleviate some of those night terrors, drop us a note and maybe we'll we'll do a bit again a bit more of a specific deep dive into that later on too. Definitely. So thank you for listening to our podcast. And where can they find us, Ali? They can find us, well, you can find us on um, the majority of the, the popular podcast channels, um, such as uh, Spotify, Anchor, CastBox. Um, you can find us on Amazon Music and hopefully soon um, Apple too. And you can also find us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. I'm we have a LinkedIn page and we're also on YouTube as well. We are indeed. And also, if you are wanting to um, have a conversation with us, whether that's by email or just to, to pass on your thoughts, you can do that either on any of those social media platforms. And um, if you look at our LinkedIn page, etc., then you'll also find links to our email address so you can email Rich and I. Awesome. Thanks, Ali. Thank you. And see you soon.